Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And this week, we're going to be thinking about property renovations and how to make property renovation profits. But before we do, I just want to say thank you to all of you who've been getting in touch and leaving me some really kind messages saying that how much you enjoy this podcast and how it's really helped you and inspired you. And I wonder if I can ask a favour in return. Would you mind going to wherever it is you get your podcasts from and leaving a review? because that would be really helpful. So if you don't mind doing that, fantastic. Don't do it now. Listen to the podcast, but maybe at the end, just take five minutes and go and do that, and that would be fantastic. I'd be very, very grateful for that. And a few of you have been getting in touch saying, Peter, love the podcast, love the information, but we don't actually know anything about you. Who are you? Which is a great question. If you want to know more about me, then of course you can find out more about me at my website, which is www.com the property teacher all one word the property come over there have a look you'll meet me you'll see all about me there's some resources there which will hopefully help you on your property journey some are paid for some are completely free so help yourself the property so anyway let's crack on let's think about property renovation profits because Making money renovating property can be easy, but of course, like anything in property, you need to know what you're doing. But there's a few simple and powerful techniques and tips and tricks that I'm going to share with you over the course of this podcast and the next podcast, which you can use, which should hopefully help you to guarantee yourself a profit every time you do a property renovation. Now, the reality is a lot of people think it's very easy and they all think they're going to make loads of money. That is until they try it. But you know, the reality is it's not as simple as that. But you can't really blame anybody for thinking that it's that easy because with the plethora of TV programs like Property Ladder and Homes Under the Hammer and all those other TV programs, you'd think that it is easy. And because of that, everybody wants to try their hand at property renovating, which is a good idea. After all, it can be a highly profitable property strategy. But as I say, the reality is that very few renovators actually make as much money from it as they think they're going to going into it. They could, by the way, just by doing a few simple things, which I'm going to share with you. Now, over the last 20 or so years, I've renovated more than 100 properties. I can't tell you the exact number because I've never actually counted, but pretty much every property which I buy is a property which needs a renovation, and I've bought and sold over 100 properties. So... I've done a fair few of these. Now, I say that in the loosest sense of the word because obviously I haven't done the work myself. We'll think about that more later. I have tried doing it myself. It didn't go down too well. I don't know why I tried doing it myself, but that's a story for another time. But by and large, what I try and do, if I'm buying a property, my strategy is to buy property that needs some work doing to it. And, it, you know, that's nothing new. That's probably something which we should all be thinking about, depending upon what your strategy actually is, finding properties which need works doing to it. Now, many of the many of my refurb projects have been relatively straightforward projects. Renewing the kitchen and bathroom, putting in new central heating and plumbing, upgrading the wiring, putting in new windows, maybe doing a damp proof course and then redecorating throughout and probably new carpets. 
Others have been much more substantial, such as a pair of flats which I bought, which were so riddled with dry rot that I had to literally gut them, took them right down to the bare brickwork. It really took them back to shell condition and almost ended up rebuilding them from scratch. And the only original parts of the building that are left now are the outside walls. So I guess that in my time, I've probably seen most things that property renovating can throw at you. Now, don't forget that renovating is a broad term. It encompasses modernization, which could include putting in a new heating system, new windows, new kitchen, new bathroom. It also covers repairs, such as damp treatment, or a roof overhaul or renewal, and rewiring. And you could actually argue, going off at a slight tangent, that repairs are really just improvements that actually don't add any value, but we can think about that another time. Renovating can also cover situations where you intend to convert the property, for example, from a single dwelling into two or more flats, or from a corner shop back to a residential house. So you could argue that's development, but if there's a substantial amount of work to do, which also includes bringing the property back into economic use, then you could also say that it's a refurb. And by the way, talking about taking a corner shop and making it back into a residential house, I have an acquaintance who actually specialises in doing nothing but this. Since the demise of the corner shop, because of competition from supermarkets, he's done very well indeed doing that. And the reason why that sort of leapt out at me is because... At the moment, there's a lot of talk about the high street being in trouble and there's a lot of speculation as to what could happen in terms of planning with shops and maybe it'll become easier to turn shops into residential properties. I don't know, but it could be something we could be looking at doing. So I'm sure that you'll agree that the theory behind property renovating is very simple. If you find the right property requiring the right type of work, you will enhance the value by more than you spend on doing the actual work. And this is sometimes known as forced appreciation. We'll think about that term a little bit later. Then, when the works are completed, if you've done your sums properly, the equity in the property, or the value in the property, will exceed the amount of your own money that you've invested in the property. Even better, you can then mortgage or remortgage the property, and depending upon how much you've increased the value by, you might be able to borrow back out more money than you've actually put into the project. And if you have more money back out than you actually put in, then obviously you're going to have more to roll over into the next property in the next project. If you repeat this process several times, your portfolio and your equity in that portfolio are obviously going to grow very rapidly. But you do need to be careful. If there's one thing that the plethora of television programmes featuring house makeovers and refurbishments has done, it's shown the population at large that making money from property refurbishment isn't a dead cert. Making a profit requires a lot of careful planning and preparation. All too often, the programmes like Property Ladder and Homes Under the Hammer have shown that it's not just a question of buying a rundown property, giving it a lick of paint and then selling it on. More often than not, for various reasons, many of the aspirant property developers have struggled to make a profit at all. In many cases... They were bailed out purely because property prices were increasing at the time. And actually, if they'd done no work at all, but just sat on the property, they'd have made the same amount of money. That's a little bit sad, isn't it? Others were less fortunate and made a loss despite the work that they did to the property. Knowing when to do a property up and how to make sure you make a profit is one of the key tools of success in a property investor's armoury. I, for one, like to use forced appreciation 
as it's often known, whenever I can. So appreciation is the increase in value of a property due to market movement, whereas forced appreciation is pushing the value of a property by means of improving, repairing and modernising. In other words, you do the work to make the value go up. It's not just driven by the market and prices going up generally. Now, depending upon the condition of a property when he or she buys, an investor may have no option but to repair and modernise if they'd bring the property back into functional use. That's the type of property which I try to find when I'm buying a property. So benefiting from forced appreciation per se might not be the motivation behind the works, it, but it might be a secondary benefit. In other words, the property just needs the work anyway before anybody can move in, but actually doing those works creates a really nice profit. But obviously it's going to make sense, if you can, to go out and look for properties that are past their best so that you can squeeze an increase in equity or an increase in value. But obviously it makes sense to go out and look for properties where you can increase the value and increase the equity that you have in the property. And one of the big benefits of doing this is that it's going to give you more options when it comes to financing or refinancing the property in the future. And we'll be thinking about that a little bit later as well. For renovation projects to make a profit, it's essential that the investor does their due diligence and plans everything before purchasing the property and committing themselves to considerable expense. And we're going to think about some of the things we need to think about when we're refurbing a property in some detail in a moment. But before we do, let me just give you a sort of quick overview of some of the things we need to be thinking about. So firstly, if you're using forced appreciation as part of your overall strategy, you'll need a system to make sure that you find plenty of what we could call product or properties to refurb projects, if you like. Refurbishing properties is extremely popular and there's often fierce competition. So much so that it's actually not uncommon for purchasers to overpay for a property just because they want to get their hands on a project. Now, every investor will have their own preferred method or methods of finding suitable properties, whether it be simply continually doing the rounds of their favourite estate agents. And by the way, that does work. If anybody ever tells you you'll never get a good deal from an estate agent, absolute nonsense. I've had many good deals through estate agents. Many investors I know have had very a lot of good deals through estate agents. So don't ever be fooled by that. Estate agents are good. And then there's land registry searches. Maybe checking out abandoned or derelict or semi-derelict properties or properties which look as if they're in disrepair in your target area. And you can go onto the land registry and find out who the owner is and approach the owner direct. Buying properties at auction could be a way of finding properties to refurb. Be careful, though, because when the market is buoyant, you're going to be paying a lot for those properties. Being at auction doesn't necessarily mean cheap. Then there's running your own property wanted adverts in local papers or leafleting. All of that can be good stuff as well. And believe it or not, I've heard of investors who watch the obituaries column in their local paper to see if they can get a lead on some probate sales. Doesn't always go down well, by the way, but it can pay off. Not my thing, but maybe you'd want to try that. So however you find your properties, you're going to need to make sure that you don't overpay for them. And this means that you're going to need detailed knowledge of the value of this type of property in your goldmine area. And you need to know the value of the property both in its unimproved state and in its improved state. And we'll think about why later. Now, this information isn't always easy to get. I realise that. 
But one of the skills which you need to develop as an investor doing refurbs is being able to work out what the improved value of the property is going to be, even if the information that you have at hand is limited. So once you've established the improved and the unimproved value, you'll then need to consider the cost of any works that are required and how those works are going to impact upon the end value of the property. And for an accurate assessment of this, you're obviously going to need to inspect the property and make a detailed assessment of what's required. This is going to mean doing an inspection, which is more than in a viewing. A lot of investors will do a viewing and go to the estate agent and you'll arrange viewings, but you actually need to look at it in more detail than if you're just doing a viewing. Now, in practice, I'm not saying that you go around and do your own survey. And if you linger too long, you're probably just going to annoy the estate agent or the vendor or whoever's showing you around the property. But you need to learn how to identify what needs to be done quite quickly. This is something which will come with practice as you begin to look at more and more properties. But just remember, you're looking at the property at a level of detail, which is beyond a viewing. You're really doing what I'm calling an inspection which means that you'll be pointing, looking out for all the things which you need doing and making a note of them, literally making a physical note, whether it be making notes on your phone or whether you even take a, a pad around with a pencil and write notes as you go around. As you get more and more experienced in viewing properties, you will develop the knack of spotting things that will make a difference and knowing where to look. By that I mean being able to spot which improvements will genuinely add value and knowing what sort of defects you're going to find in different types of buildings in your goldmine area. So you'll be thinking about the age of the property and you'll also be thinking about the building construction of the properties in your goldmine area. And you'll get to know them well enough to know where defects are most likely to show themselves. So, for example, in a Victorian terraced house with a back addition, the obvious problems to look out for could be roof problems, especially around valley gutters, or it could be the wiring and plumbing. Or it could be damp problems, where the damp-proof course has broken down, for example. If you sent me off to look at properties on my gold mine area up in the northeast, just from looking at the photos on Rightmove, because the properties are so similar, I could probably have a very good idea, even before I actually physically step into the property, of where the defects are going to be, because I've seen so many. And this is just something which comes with practice and experience. So having established the likely works that are going to be required, you'll then need to factor in the effect on value. And this ultimately is going to affect how much you're going to be prepared to offer for the property. Or if you're buying the property at auction, how much you're going to be prepared to bid. Now, it's true that in property, cost does not equal value, something which I was taught as a very young surveyor by my then senior partner. Peter, he said, remember this, cost does not equal value. And some improvements are going to add more value than the cost of undertaking them, which is a good thing, because otherwise our model wouldn't work, would it? By the same token, though, some works which we undertake are actually going to add less value than they actually cost to undertake. And we need to know which is which. So generally speaking, something like central heating or new windows, in my experience, are going to add more value than they cost. Whereas going to extremes... One of the sort of stereotype, cliched examples, which is often quoted, so I'm going to quote it as well, is, for example, if you stick a, a swimming pool, an outside swimming pool, into a property, that's probably going to be more of a liability when actually detract from the value rather than adding value. But you have to think about what it is that you're going to be undertaking and whether that's going to add value. And a lot of this is going to come down to where you're actually doing it in the country. 
Sometimes I'm asked, Peter, how can I know how much works are going to add to the value of a property? Can you tell me, Peter, how much conservatory will add to the value of a property? Can you tell me how much central heating will add to the value of the property? And the honest answer is no, I can't. Because wherever you're doing your refurbs, it's going to be a different story. So, for example, if you do a refurb in London and say, for example, you're able to create a parking space or a garage in London, you probably add a million quid to the value. I don't know. I'm told in London everything's going to add a million quid. They're all very expensive properties. But where I live up in Nottinghamshire, where there's lots of green space and lots of open fields, if you add a parking space onto a property, it doesn't make very much difference at all. An extra parking space probably adds no value. As long as you've got one parking space or two parking spaces, the third wouldn't make any difference at all. So a lot of it is going to come down to where you're actually doing the refurb and understanding your local market. So a key to knowing how much to spend on a property and knowing what effect on value of the work will be is for you to understand your potential market. So the first decision you need to make is whether you're going to be renovating for resale or whether you're going to keep the property to let out and hold as an investment, because this is often going to dictate the standard of works that you're going to undertake, and that's also going to affect how you perceive the end value of the property as well. Often an investor would be wise to, say, install a lower standard of kitchen in a rental property than if you're going to sell on to an owner-occupier. I'm sure we all understand the reasons for that. As long as the kitchen's of reasonable quality, the property is going to attract the same rent as if the investor put in a plush, all-singing, all-dancing kitchen. In fact, a plush, all-singing, all-dancing kitchen might even be OTT and not really fit the property. Adopting an economic term, there's definitely a marginal utility of return on one's investment. So it gets to the point where it doesn't matter how much more you spend, you're not actually adding any more value or very much more value. Now, of course, if you're instead looking to sell the property on, if you're looking to flip it, then you're probably going to be selling it on in the owner-occupier market, and in which case it may be worth, in fact, it probably will be worth spending more and putting in higher quality fittings, because that's what the owner-occupier market would expect. And again, the value might not be enhanced by the full cost of the works, but if nothing else, it should facilitate a sale, and a quicker sale should enhance the profit, taking into account the opportunity cost of money, or actual interest paid on any finance that you've taken out to buy the property, or finance you've taken out to pay for the refurb works themselves. But even when renovating for the owner-occupier market, an investor will need to make sure that the works that they undertake are appropriate to the property. I once viewed a small two-bedroom terraced house in a northern town, which the estate agent's detail suggested would be ideal as a rental property. And it was obvious that the owner had been watching too much changing rooms or, or TV programme like that because the kitchen refit was completely over the top, as was the asking price of the property. And this just confirmed my suspicion that the owner had assumed that the cost of the kitchen would translate directly into value added to the property. But not in this case. In fact, the kitchen was so over the top and so inappropriate for a property of this size and value that I think it actually detracted from the value of the property. The sad thing is that this property didn't have a proper bathroom, it only had a shower room. And if the owner had spent the money instead to convert the shower room into a proper bathroom, that would have added a lot more value than this really posh, oversized kitchen that they tried to squeeze into a small room. And if a renovator is looking to hold and rent the property, then he or she will need to think about what finance they're gonna be using. 
Any increase in the value of the property following refurbishment can potentially be drawn out using finance. And if the increase in value is greater than the costs of the work by a sufficient margin, then the investor can get back the costs of the works by refinancing, which is always a great thing to do. Having embarked on a potentially profitable project, it's then the responsibility of the renovator to make sure that a profit is made. And this will firstly be down to their research and judgment, as we've already seen, about values and the potential costs of the works. Then, in a very practical sense, it will be by making sure that the project comes in on, or even under, budget. How one's going to achieve this also raises some practical questions. Do you need, want or intend to do some of the works yourself? If so, by implication, the properties you'll be buying will have to be close to home. As an aside, if you do intend to do the work yourself, make sure that it pays for you to do it in the long run. Although it can be tempting to muck in to try and cut costs, often the jobs will be done quicker and to a higher standard if you employ professional contractors instead. Speed is important when you've bought using finance. The interest will be clocking up daily. But even if you bought a property for cash, you should still make a notional allowance for interest during the holding period to reflect the opportunity cost of your own funds. Similarly, many investors fail to allow for or charge themselves in a way for their own time, which is a mistake and which distorts the final figures when you're working out your profit. But overall, I would say, please don't do refurbs yourself. I started off by doing my refurb myself, my very first refurb project. I thought this would be great. I thought I'd learn a lot. I thought I'd be able to save a load of money. I don't know what I was thinking. At home, I don't even do the DIY. My wife does the DIY because I cannot do it. I'm completely hopeless when it comes to that sort of thing. Why was I doing my own refurb? I do not know. It just took me so long to actually get the project finished because every time I did something, I made a mess of it and I had to get somebody in who knew what they were doing to A, undo what I had done and then B, redo it all properly. So I learned in my very first refurb that it's actually a false economy. Now, maybe you're better at DIY than me, but it doesn't make any difference. Your time is better spent, in my opinion, doing other things like finding your next deal or, very importantly, going out and raising JV finance to pay for your projects. Now, if you are prepared to take a more hands-off role, then you'll be able to be more flexible about where you buy, so you'll have more choice. Many of my refurbishment projects have been about 150 miles from where I live. How have I made that work? Well, I was able to find and rely upon a trustworthy project manager who makes sure that the works are done properly, on time and on budget. And this allows me the time to look for the next deal rather than worrying needlessly about the details of the current project. If you want to put some time into your refurbishment projects, then finding the right team of contractors and someone to manage them is probably the time you should be spending, because that would be time well spent. So having completed the works, what then? Well, quite simply, the choice usually comes down to either selling on at a profit or keeping the property and letting it out. I usually keep my properties and let them out. I have flipped a few properties, but generally speaking, I refurb to buy and hold, and then I will refinance. And if I've done my sums properly, the value of the property will have increased by a good margin. The, the value of the property will have increased over and above the amount that I've actually paid on the refurb works. And I'll usually be able to draw out enough extra equity to pay my refurbishment costs. And often there'll also be a surplus that I can put towards the deposit of another 
property. And that's helped me to roll up my portfolio and build my portfolio. Now, I just want to say a quick word about tax here, because I know this is something which we're all intensely interested in. But when you refinance after you've done your refurb, drawing out equity as a loan does not attract tax. It's not income. It is a loan. But you probably want to be thinking before you even start as to how you structure your refurb business. Are you going to do the refurbs in your name or are you going to do the refurbs through a limited company? Now, a lot of investors get very confused on this point because they think that if they're doing a refurb and they're adding value to the capital value of the property, then if they do that through their own name, own the properties in their own name, when they sell, they'll be able to pay capital gains tax, which means that they'll be able to take advantage of the capital gains tax allowance, which is about 11 and a half grand at the moment. It doesn't actually work that way, because the reality is that if you're going to be refurbing and flipping, then HMRC are going to see that as being a trade, and so they're going to want you to pay income tax. Now, you might get away with your first property. You may not because it all comes down to intent. And if HMRC can see, even if it's your first refurb, but your intent was to have a business which buys properties, does them up and sells them on, then they're probably going to want you to pay income tax from the very beginning. You may be able to get away with your first property or two. You need a good tax accountant who's going to help you with that. So to get around that, the best way forward is probably to do any flipping through a limited company. Now, the advantage of a limited company, of course, is that if you buy the property using finance, you can offset the mortgage interest against any profits that you are calculating for corporation tax. Now, what if you're just going to buy the property and refurbish it and then keep it and rent it out as a buy to let? Should you do that in your own name or should you do that through a limited company? Well, the received wisdom at the moment is that probably most investors should buy and hold properties into a limited company. Now, you need to talk to your accountant about this. I'm not an accountant. I'm not an IFA. Everybody's personal circumstances are different. Everybody's financial circumstances are different. So what I'm advising may not be right for you. Usual caveats. But probably for 95% or 99% of us buying our properties, whether we're going to flip them or whether we're going to hold them, is probably best done through a limited company. Now, the only thing I would say about this, though, is there is an opportunity if you live in the property and if it is your principal private residence, then, of course, you could refurb it and you could do the refurb and sell it on. And then you wouldn't have to pay capital gains tax at all because it's your private principal residence. But again, warnings, because if you do this too often and if you do it too quickly, HMRC might say, hang on a sec, you're actually just trading, but pretending to live there. Oh, you might be living there, but it's actually, to all intents and purposes, a business that you're running because they're not daft. So you may need to live in the property for 12 months to two years. You may need to make sure that you don't do this too often. But there is an opportunity to refurb and obviously not pay tax on the gain if it is genuinely, and I say genuinely, your principal private residence. Talk to your accountant about it. I'm not an accountant. So if you are tempted to do some refurbs, whether you want to keep the properties to rent them out and then refinance and get all your money back out, or whether you perhaps want to go down the flipping route and buy a property, do it up and then sell it on as a profit, here are my 10 top tips for when you're renovating property. Tip number one, 
Be very clear in your own mind why you want to renovate. Now, there's probably three main reasons why we want to refurbish property. The first is because it's a rental property for letting out. The second reason is because it's a property we've bought to refurbish and sell on. In other words, it's going to be a flip. And the third is so that we can add value to the property and then refinance it and get all or most of our money back out on the refinance. So if it's a rental property, we'll probably be trying to make sure that uh, we're making it easier to rent out. And so we reduce our voids. And we'll be thinking about how to make sure that we get the best possible rent when we rent it out. We'll also be thinking about how we increase the capital value so that we can refinance and pull all of our money back out should we wish to. If instead we're renovating the property because we want to sell it on as a flip, we'll need to be aware of two potential markets. Are we selling it on to owner-occupiers? And probably most of the time we will be. Or are we going to sell the property on to other investors? And the standard of refurbishment is going to be different for both of these potential buyers. If we're renovating to sell on to owner-occupiers, then we'll generally have to provide a higher standard of refurbishment and conversely, a lower standard of refurbishment if we're selling on to other investors. Now, the premise behind this is that the other investors will be looking to rent the property out. And so a refurbishment for a sale to an investor is going to be identical to all intents and purposes to a refurbishment for a property that we're going to rent out. And if that's the case, then we'll be looking to bring the property up to a good but not exceptional standard. Probably means we're going to be using harder wearing finishes. We may be not using quite top of the range finishes. There's a difference, isn't there, between the finish for a rental property and a property for an owner-occupier. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we're rogue landlords. I'm not suggesting that we're finishing the property to a poor standard. I'm just saying that we're not doing it to the same standard as if we were looking to do it for an owner-occupier. If we're renovating a property to sell to other investors, their main concerns are going to be the yield that they're going to achieve, or in other words, the rent that they're going to achieve relative to the purchase price. And they'll probably be wanting to buy the property at a discount, what nowadays we'd call below market value. So we need to be able to factor that into our figures as well. If we're going to sell a property onto an investor, whether we're refurbing it or not, we're probably going to buy it pretty cheap so that we can still make a margin because they'll want to have their discount. Now, of course, there are always exceptions to every rule and the refurbishment will need to be in keeping with the property. In other words, in keeping with its size, its age, its character and location. And that's regardless of whether we're renovating to rent out or to sell on. And in some areas, the appropriate market may be that we're going to let it to high-end tenants, in which case perhaps the finish for the rental market may be identical to the finish we would provide for owner-occupiers. Or in some cases, such as at the very top end, where we're looking at perhaps corporate lets, for example, the finish may actually be higher than for owner-occupiers. So there are no hard and fast rules about this. You just need to understand your market. A lot of people think of renovating property to sell on at a profit when the work's done, but don't forget that buying to do up and buying to hold and let are not mutually exclusive. In fact, there are definite benefits in combining the two. Having cut my teeth doing up a couple of properties to sell on, but having also enjoyed the benefits of let and hold through buy to let, as often as I possibly can, I now try to combine the two by buying to do up and then letting and holding. The premise behind buying to do up is that it will result in a profit. 
the money you spend should be on things that will improve the property and so increase the value of the property. And it should be increased by more than the amount that you spend on the works. If you buy to do up and sell on, you would take this profit as a lump sum. If instead you do up and then hold and let, this profit will translate as an increase in the equity that you hold in the property. If the equity increases, this can either be seen to reduce the gearing if you've used finance, or alternatively can be taken out by way of mortgaging, remortgaging, or as a further advance, and can then be used to buy or refurbish other properties, or to pay your salary as a property developer. So, moving on. Top tip number two. Take on projects in keeping with your experience. Now, be careful not to be too ambitious when you start. The type of project you take on should depend on how much experience you have. And we can think about possible categories of projects and broadly define them like this. So at the bottom end, there's beginners, beginners projects. So this will be dealing only with single units like flats and houses. And these properties are probably going to be run down but sound and requiring only cosmetic minor modernization, minor repairs and probably redecoration. Next level up, we could call that intermediate. Again, dealing only with single units. And these will still be run down, but generally sound, but may require more extensive refurbishment and modernization. In other words, more extensive non-structural repairs. And I stress the word non-structural. Maybe some renewing of the services, like the electrical system or plumbing. A new bathroom, a new kitchen. Maybe a new heating system and maybe new windows. And probably for most of us when we're starting out, we're going to be starting either at the beginner's level or maybe at the intermediate level. I wouldn't go any further than that if you're just starting out. Next level up is advanced. So this could involve dealing with multiple units. It's not just single houses or single flats. So it could be converting a house into a HMO, for example, a house in multiple occupation. Or it could be converting a house and turning it into separate flats. It could also include converting maybe that shop that we talked about earlier into a residential unit. It's something a little bit unusual, something beyond just what a beginner would do. Now, a typical project like this is going to require planning and or building regulation consent. Usually they go together. So you're probably going to need an architect. And the property could be run down and not sound, and it could require some structural repairs. There's the S word, which we were trying to avoid earlier, structural repairs. So that could be something like settlement or subsidence. Could be a major roof failure, could be major damp problems with associated rot, for example. All of that is going to come under advanced. You don't want to be starting off on that kind of stuff. Next level up from advanced is what I would call expert. And this is going to include large conversion projects, wholesale redevelopment, anything to do with listed properties, anything which sounds a little bit hard, to be honest. Now, although it's sensible to learn the basics before you become too adventurous, by the same token, don't underestimate what you can achieve either. My list is just a guide and there are no hard and fast rules. Even if there were rules, all rules are there to be broken, aren't they? I've heard it said that beginners should only take on projects that require minor cosmetic improvements. But I think that if you think you're up to it, it can be easier, quicker and more financially rewarding to say, take on a project with major structural problems. If that problem is relatively easy to rectify, then it can be taken on a project with lots of little problems, little, lots of lingly things. 
that's your choice. It can be easier to organise and manage one big job and to keep a rein on the costs than it is to sort out numerous minor problems. And by the way, although I've sort of broken it down into those classifications, don't forget this. No matter where you feel you are on that scale, whether you're at the beginner or the advanced or the expert or the intermediate or whatever, if you take on a JV partner, a JV partner, having a JV partner on board who's got more experience than you will allow you to do bigger, more involved projects. And that's absolutely fine too. And you'll learn an awful lot as well. One of the major benefits of having a JV partner isn't just the money, if they're providing the money, but it's the expertise which you can learn from as well. And Refurbs is a great place to take a JV partner on who knows more than you. Moving on again, tip number three. And this might sound obvious, but you'd be amazed how many people actually forget this when they get very excited about taking on their project. But don't start any project unless you're confident that you're going to make a profit. Let's face it, unless there are good investment reasons for doing otherwise, there's absolutely no point in taking on a project that does not result in a profit of some kind. So do make sure, when you're calculating how much you can pay for a property, that you allow for a realistic profit in the figures. So, for example, if you're buying a property to do up and then flip, when you're calculating how much you can pay, you'll need to estimate as accurately as you can, first off, the sale price of the property once it's modernised. Once you know the eventual sale price of a modernised property, you can then deduct from that the amount of any fees such as estate agents and solicitors fees, which will be payable on the sale when you flip the property. And you will deduct the cost of the works, including surveyors and architects fees, if that's relevant, and a contingency. Always important to put in a contingency because there's always going to be something you don't know about and there's always going to be something which is going to cost more than you expect. And if you've come on Masterclass and you've heard me talking about refurbs, you'll have heard me say, I don't understand why we always have these things which are unexpected because it happens every time. So we should be expecting the unexpected, in which case they're not unexpected, they're expected. There we are. We won't go into that any further. You know what I'm saying. Allow a contingency. Allow for interest on a loan for the property. Purchase price, if you're buying the property, allow for the interest on the loan, which might be the whole purchase price or a proportion thereof. And you'll need to allow for interest on any loan that you take out to cover the cost of the works. And then finally, last but certainly not least, make an allowance for your profit. Now, this could be a percentage of the price of the property. This could be a percentage of the end value of the property. Or you could just say, look, I'm going to take £10,000 or £15,000 or £20,000 or £50,000 or £100,000 or whatever you think is a reasonable profit given the size of the project. Now, of course, if you're buying the property to rent it out, if you're going to buy it as a sort of a hold and a let, a buy to let, I suppose we would call it, then you're going to do a slightly different calculation because the way that I would start thinking about how much I could pay for the property is to think about the value of the property once it's refurbished. So then think about how much you're going to be able to borrow against that. I talked earlier about the importance of being able to refinance and get your money back out. Well, if you want to get your money back out, look at what the property is going to be worth. Work out how much of a mortgage you can get on the property once it's been refurbished. And then from that, you can deduct your costs. Now, you wouldn't be deducting profit from that 
because the profit, in a sense, is going to be the equity because most banks are probably going to lend you 75%. So you've got 25% built in already, which we could call your profit, for want of a better word term. But you work out how, what, how much you can actually borrow back out. 75%, for example, of the end value of the property after the refurbishment. And then from that figure, you could deduct the cost of the refurb and any fees. And what's left over is the amount, in effect, that you can afford to bid for the property. So that's tip number three. Now, I've got seven other great tips for you. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you're finding this really helpful. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. Because time is pressing on a bit, I'm going to hold the other seven and we'll cover those in the next podcast. So don't forget, if you want to know a little bit more, more about me, come to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Some great resources there, which you can pick up, some for free, some you pay for. It doesn't really matter. You find out a bit more about me. It'd be great to see you there. And if you can leave a review about the podcast, that would be really, really helpful as well. Otherwise, if you want to get in touch, if you have any comments, then the best way to do this is to go onto the Progressive Facebook page, tag me in, hopefully I'll see the comment, and we can have a little chat about whatever it is that uh, this podcast has brought to mind for you. Until next time, here's to successful property investing. 